Hey, it's Elisa. I run a B2B creative agency called Stories Bureau, and we work with executives like you every day to make sure their presentations have the wow factor. Our designers and strategists help tell compelling stories that impact big business decisions. Let's get real, ladies. If you're a woman of color in leadership, you know that you're expected to perform above and beyond the norm. So let's get started at storiesbureau.com. Hey everyone, we're so glad you're here. I'm Elisa Monjadas. I'm a marketing leader and executive coach. I'm Courtney Copeland, and I'm an accountability and wellness coach. And I'm Dr. Mirari Simeon, an activator of talent, HR executive, author, and working mom. If you're anything like the successful multicultural women we interview on the What Rules podcast, you've learned that you can't do it alone. And we teach women like yourself to outsmart the game to get ahead in your career. We're really talking about those rules that we grew up with as women and expectations that have been placed on us. Our mission is to change the face of leadership at What Rules Podcast. As you listen to our talented guests, take note and take action. Go ahead, go and break those rules. Our guest is Mimi Park from Databricks, and she wrote this article called Maximizing AI ROI Through Change Management. And all of us here on this podcast are organizational development learners. We all got degrees in that. So we all understand the importance of looking at an organization from a systemic viewpoint. But something that I've seen when I coach women is a lot of times they are only thinking about their role and what they have to do, and they're not really thinking about the big picture. So I really appreciated you talking about change management, getting stakeholders involved early, doing it again later. And I I just wanted to shout that out because I think it's it's really important. And I wanted to know if you've had any experience thinking about that. Thanks for that call out. I think about this all the time. I have been in the tech world, data, science, and AI all of my 15 plus years in my career. And there was a moment where I realized that technology, models, AI, or us being benefited by all the data points that we have, that all involves change. We could throw an awesome application at a customer, or we could give our executives a bunch of data points. But if they don't really digest that and doesn't inspire them to change, nothing happens. So I equate technology to change. And with that said, if people don't feel like they own the change, they're not going to change. And so the article describes, if you are throwing this awesome AI tool, maybe at a call center where there's a hundred people taking recommendations from AI model and they're helping their customers, they're just closing out of that window and say, I'm just going to do things my way. Then nothing happened, right? So we have to involve them early, help them understand why we're doing it, what's in it for them. And then now we can all benefit from the technology. So I think I'm a very people-oriented technology leader. I think people really underestimate how critical change management is. I mean, in my experience, even from having a new leader in the department or in the division, you should have a change 
management process in place to make sure that everybody comes along. And I think from a multicultural women perspective, being able to think strategically and think bigger, it it's, it's crucial because number one, it allows you to collaborate with other people across the organization to your point, to influence them, to bring them in for whatever the change may be, in this case, AI. So I love that you're talking about it because I really feel when I see organizations working on big projects, I'm like, where's your change management person? <laughs> and they're like, what are you talking about? But it is so critical, both personally and from an organization perspective. So thank you for pointing that out and just leading the way in here. Change management is always in the back burner. Yes. And <laughs> just, you know, if you realize that we're at the end of the day, we're all people just coming to work, making very emotional decisions all day. I mean, we think we're scientific. We're not so much. So, oh, Absolutely. I think it's really cool to hear you say that, you know, we are emotional people and there's emotion involved in these bigger business decisions that we're all having to make. And just giving a shout out, like that's the humanness that people need to acknowledge to be effective in the workplace. I love how this is like the podcast before the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We could go on for hours. (laughs) There's so much to say about this. Change management is such a, it's such a fuzzy concept. People dismiss it because they don't understand that Technology involves something changing, people using different tools or having a different mindset, having different expectations in their user experience, what have you. And so, yeah, it's all about change. My name is Mimi Park. I am a wife. I've been married about 12 years, very happily married. I live in Frisco, Texas. I am also a mom to a daughter, but soon to be two daughters. Yes. Yes. Um, Yay. (laughs) Thank you. Giving birth very soon. I'm very heavily pregnant. So (laughs) I'm a mom and that's just been wonderful. Professionally, I have been in the kind of technology data science space for more than 16 years. I'm a field chief technology officer at Databricks. My role is to work with senior executives at our customers and help them understand some of this technology. Lately, a lot of generative AI and help them think about their strategy and um, their approach to a million ways that they could implement it. And last but most importantly, I'm a woman of faith. That keeps me just absolutely grounded. Um, yeah, that that is me in a nutshell. <laughs> and And where were you born and raised? Yeah, I was born and raised in Seoul, Korea. And I went to school in California and... Upon graduation, I moved to Texas. So, yeah, it's been quite a while, Uh, (laughs) 16, 17 years since I've been in Texas. I still don't call myself a Texan. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know. Maybe I will someday, but I still have my California number. <laughs> hey, I have my New Jersey number, so I can totally understand. I mm-hmm. I've, I grew up in Puerto Rico, but moved to New Jersey, and I've been here actually for 12 years as well. Uh, so we're neighbors <laughs> for yeah. those listening. <laughs> Total transplants. You know, it's funny. We've had so many people from Texas on this, and it's not even been planned. Or it's just something about women of color and the C-suite. You know, like something in something in that hot air in Texas. (laughs) Well, Mimi, as you know, we like to talk about the rules that women have broken to get there because we know the path isn't super clear or straight for women of color to get into senior leadership. What is the rule that you've broken to get ahead in your career? You know, I thought a lot about this, and I would say that you don't have to have this stereotypical, quintessential image of a Western male, strong, dominant, charismatic leader to succeed and for you to lead. And this has, you know, the journey to like really coming to this has a lot to do with my upbringing in Korea. And just to double click into that, growing up, Asian family, Asian parents, and you essentially didn't have a voice. You just did what you were told. And communication was a one-way street. I carried that for all my life. And I think I saw the world really black and white up until only recently, because black and white is either wrong or right, or you're, you know, smart or dumb. And I was just told, hey, this is right, you do this. And without even a chance to think about, well, why, or what do I think about this? Or there's many different ways to look at it. But I carried that into the workplace. I wanted to be like everyone else but me. Because mm. I saw all the, all these yeah. other examples of seemingly happy, successful people in the workplace. And I'm like, wow, I, I can't be like them. And I thought they were right. They were the ideal and I was not. Wow. I would add that growing up in an environment like that, I still struggle with this to this day, which is I'm afraid to take up space in meetings. I feel like I'm inconveniencing people when I speak (laughs) something, you know, totally that I have expertise in. But yet again, before I start saying my idea, I start to dismiss it or have all these caveats as to why my idea is not important. And it, it all goes back to you just didn't have a voice growing up and still afraid to do that today. So I think that sums it up. And ultimately, when I realized that I am different from other people because of my upbringing, and now I'm kind of a mishmash of all these different cultures, I can be myself and I still struggle with it. So being vulnerable in the workplace and being honest with people you come across is a superpower because that's helped me in so many ways that I didn't think it would. Was there a moment in time when you realized... I want to be me. And you made that transition. To, I, I understand that it's still difficult, but in, we'll talk more about vulnerability and you pushing through it. Because I imagine if it's something constant, you have to continue to push through it. But was there a moment in time where you said, enough, I don't need to be like them. Um, I want to be me. 
there was a moment where that really clicked in my head that it was okay to be me. And I think it's a little bit juvenile (laughs) because again, I was such a black and white thinker. Uh, We did personality assessments at work and the result so it's it was called the DISC framework, D-I-S-C. Yes. I love that assessment. <laughs> we all know it. Yeah, I see you all nodding. Yeah, I love that. And I got my report back. I'm a high C, just like at the perfectionist level. High C, conscientious, critical, and analytical. And I read my report, and it was like me to the T. <laughs> And I thought, oh, I'm a thing. <laughs> I'm a I'm thing. Alone. Like, <laughs> yes, I'm on the I, assessment. <laughs> yes, I exist. There are others like me. <laughs> exactly. And that's when I was like, okay, well, I'm not less than others. I'm just different. <laughs> and uh, what was great was at work, they helped us kind of understand what each other's personalities are and how to effectively you know, work with each other. And you're definitely in the right industry. Yes. For being a C, like data, tech, C, that's like C, C, yeah. C, C. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. It sounds like you've also done the hard work and like the digging to gain awareness. Mm-hmm. Were you always vulnerable in the workplace or how did you get to this place? Because I think a lot of people would love to be there, but the question is always, how did you get there? Yeah, no, I was not vulnerable at all. I also grew up thinking I always had to meet this bar that was unattainable. <laughs> and, you know, I was not enough, right? And insecure about everything. So my natural instinct was to hide that and yeah. just feel really ashamed when I didn't feel like I was not enough compared to my coworker or they criticized me, then I would not act in the best way. So when I started to really open my eyes around the ideal vulnerability, it was not as a single moment, but there was a time where I dropped the ball on a project, on a side project at work. It was an extracurricular. And I said all these things. Yes, I could build this demo and code in this. And, you know, we can showcase it. And I did none of that in the next two weeks. And my coworker had basically kind of done all the work and they managed through it. In my mind, it was just kind of like a nice to have, but I still didn't follow through. And I felt very ashamed about it and avoided him probably for like months. But it ate at me. No one called you out? No, no. (laughs) So other people were afraid to talk about it too. Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps. I met him at a company event and something compelled me to just go up to him and apologize. That takes strength. Yeah. And I said, I totally dropped the ball. I am so sorry. No excuses. And, you know, he took that graciously, but Somehow he ended up befriending me because I was still kind of afraid to approach him after that. But he Facebook friend me and he was pinging me at work and, you know, wanted to talk about stuff. So I was like, 
this is interesting. (laughs) There's a reciprocity involved with being vulnerable. When you are open yourself, it opens other people up. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened. And talk about turning your adversity into your strength. Here you were, super shameful. You couldn't even talk about it. And then when you finally opened up, you opened up a whole nother side of your relationship with him. Absolutely. And there's so many relationships I've cultivated at work where I had literally ugly cried in the office, just being vulnerable with my coworker. And we've always remained good friends since then. And, you know, not only personally, but professionally, I think you need to be vulnerable. So first of all, I think there's a time and a place to be vulnerable. (laughs) You know, if you are a leader and you're trying to paint a vision and inspire your team, there's a time for that. (laughs) But, you know, in Crying on team calls. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I've come close to doing that many times, but, you know, try to fight it. But there's also many intimate moments where you're trying to talk through something or just building rapport. Especially with your boss, I've been vulnerable with my boss a lot when I'm just having trouble with my employees or just not being able to figure out something. I let him be part of the problem by sharing that. And so number one, he's going to feel a little bit accountable for it and help me through it because he probably knows things I don't. I don't want to always constantly bring up problems to my boss, but I am going to give him a chance to help solve this with me because we're better as a team than me just trying to do everything on my own. Empowering women is good, but advancing women, that is the real game changer. Join us at the What Rules Leadership Conference this October 25th. We are bringing multicultural women and their managers together to bring about change that will echo across the leadership landscape. Managers of multicultural women, this is your opportunity to leave a lasting legacy. You do not want to miss this groundbreaking experience. Register today at whatrulespodcast.com. I always like to ask questions that could be great perspective for someone listening in. What do you do if you open that door and the other person doesn't walk through it with you? Yeah, that that is hard. I think I've been pretty fortunate in the last few years to have compassionate, thoughtful bosses. Did have a boss who was very different than me in probably two, three jobs ago. And he was the kind of the high D, the quintessential Mm. dominant and direct. And he had already just kind of relegated me to more minor, smaller roles. That's the thing. I think they also just spew an aura that tells me whether I can be vulnerable with them or not. That's a cue that I take. Um, But I actually ended up leaving that job for a much better one. But I think, yeah, you do sense something. That also talks about feeling like you have that psychological safety, which Courtney, it's something that you talk about all the time, right? And, And it sounds like 
not being able to feel that you could be yourself and be vulnerable with that leader is like, hey, it might be time for me to go. I wonder if you could share a time where you were vulnerable with your team and what did that do for your team? Because I really think being vulnerable is critical, especially as leaders, so that our teams can feel that they can come and talk to us about some of the things that they may be going through or experiencing. Absolutely right. You know, with your team, you need to be vulnerable too. I always work against the background that I have very capable, competent team members or else I wouldn't have hired them. And I'm always trying to just give them the spotlight and have them own their own ideas and push through with it. I'm not afraid to say in public settings, hey, this guy here, he's so much smarter than I am. He can speak for himself in terms of, you know, what project that we're doing. So I'm, I guess I'm just constantly kind of putting them in the spotlight as long as they feel comfortable. And so I'm very, very well aware that I feel kind of like an old dog sometimes in terms of coding and the latest and hot, uh, <laughs> hottest in terms of technology. So I'm, I'm real about that. And I put them in the spotlight. And ultimately, that helps them own their work, which makes a huge difference in you know the delivery. I was going to say that when you're explaining this, what I hear is empowerment. You're allowing people to own their power. And I think it's one of the most effective things you can do as a leader. Yeah, I think it also builds trust, authenticity. Mm -hmm. it, it strengthens those relationships. It also makes me think of it, it promotes learning and growth because the person now, I mean, if you said that to me, I'm like, wow, I feel empowered. Like Courtney said, I can continue yeah. to learn and grow. And you're motivating your, the individual. So that's that's wonderful. Yeah, the idea of being a servant leader and giving them all the tools to succeed. What does servant leadership mean to you? Yeah, you know, that's a term that's thrown around a lot, right? Especially since Simon Sinek, I think he wrote a book about that and all that. When I think of the word servant in the workplace, I put a lot of pressure on myself, especially as I did presentations or offered my ideas. I went in every meeting, every occasion, thinking that I needed to impress people. And that did not go well because I was so focused on myself and put a lot of pressure and I did, certainly did not feel good after delivering it. And so then, by the way, I have a life counselor and a faith counselor in one, and he helped me kind of think through it as, hey, no, I mean, think of yourself as a servant to not only your, your faith community, your church members and your family, but at work too. You know, when you are doing a presentation and giving recommendations, or maybe you're doing a public speech, you're serving these people. So then they leave having learned something. So uh, that was a, a big aha moment for me. That's wonderful. Yet another aha moment to say, when you make it about you, it's not good. <laughs> and like, it's a motivator too, because when you are trying to do your best for other people, especially for women of color, we all have like that servant's heart. I think it's just, it's cultural in all, so many different cultures. And so when we think about if we lead, we're doing it for other people, my presentation is going to be stronger. My change management, like I'm going to make sure to get my stakeholders involved because if I want to see something get done to benefit my team, to benefit the organization, it 
it's a total mental shift in how you do your work. And it also retains your agency as a leader while you're helping others. Yeah. And you can be in tune with the other person and adjust and say, is this working? You know, where do we need to, you know, pivot and adjust to actually get to the outcome that you want? I think it also, from a servant leadership perspective, it helps you build awareness, right? Uh, Because you're trying to understand what the needs of the team is and how you want to close that gap. So it makes you more aware of, okay, as a servant leader, I'm, I'm listening, I'm being empathetic to their needs. And so it's, it just goes so much beyond what the terminology it is that they currently use, right? Servant leadership means so much and so different. So I love that you asked that question, um, Courtney, because it, it's personalized to each individual. And as we do on this podcast, I want to put Courtney on the spot and say, thinking, <laughs> of, <laughs> thinking about vulnerability and servant leadership from what we've heard, like there are so many connections that we can make. What are, what are some of the connections that you see in that? The first thing that comes to mind is as a leader, if you're trying to cultivate psychological safety with your team, A part of that is also meeting people where they're at. Mm -hmm. And that means bringing in your vulnerability. And that means having the awareness. Those people are looking up to you. And they might feel some sort of imposter syndrome and say, like, I want to be where you are one day, but how am I going to get there? And leveling with them just creates more of a bond. It creates trust and understanding. So you're actually serving your team and your direct reports by opening up. It's it's really that simple. And so like, yeah, building that bridge is meeting someone where they are. The thing about vulnerability is that it can only come from a sense of security, I think. Mm, if you're insecure, yep. if you truly feel like you're less than your employee, for example, at the most fundamental level, can you be vulnerable with them? I, I don't think so. Actually, I would challenge that. I think you can if you you like recognize your insecurity and maybe your imposter syndrome and be vulnerable anyway, then you can step into that. It's a challenge. It's not easy. And, and talking about challenges for a multicultural woman, how much more strategic do we need to be with being vulnerable? Because we talk about it and we know it's good. But we all know all the stereotypes and all the things, plus all those self-limited beliefs that we may even have personally. But there are stereotypes and there are other unconscious bias out there. So what does that mean to women like us? Yeah, you know, with kind of optics in mind, as long as you are being judicious about where you are vulnerable and vulnerable and not, I think being women of color sometimes you might get an opportunity because of the fact that you are a woman of color. And I'm not afraid to admit that, (laughs) to say, I'll take the opportunity. Uh, They need a female speaker among a list of 10 other male speakers. I'll do it and I'm going to take it and just still take pride in that. I think that's being vulnerable, right? (laughs) And those situations my ego wants to flare up and say like, that's not the only reason. And 
it's because I'm just as smart and it's because I have these credentials and it's, I try to justify it, but it's like, I don't have to, both can exist. Yes, maybe I am standing out because they need someone who looks like me, who sounds like me. Okay. And it's also an opportunity for me to prove to you what I can do. That's where I was going. That's where I was going, Courtney. Oh, not going. That's where I was thinking. I'm like, it is a perfect opportunity to say, hey, they they were waiting for somebody like me, number <laughs> yeah. one. And now I'm gonna you don't show even know you know what's coming. Yeah, you know. <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. And it's our opportunity to show the world how great we are. I mean, let's just keep it real. We can't show the world how great we are if we don't show up. Love that. Absolutely. We have to show up and we got to take those opportunities. Just like Courtney said, the first thing that I want to think about was like, oh, I'm that good. Um, you're not giving it to me because I'm a woman of color. But at the same time, if you are, thanks for the opportunity. Now I'm going to show you why I deserved it in the first place. Um, so, But to Alisa's point, you have to show up. If you don't, and if we let these opportunities pass us by, then nobody's ever going to see how great we are. So well said. Man, we could go. I mean, there's so <laughs> many directions. I'm holding my tongue because <laughs> we could go. This is going to be a two-hour uh, podcast. We've been talking about turning your adversity into your strength and bringing that vulnerability, that servant leadership to the forefront. Mimi, just thinking about everything we've been talking about, do you have any new aha moments or has anything solidified in your mind? about this? Fundamentally, you can't be a good leader or influence unless you understand yourself very deeply. Mm. So it was a journey to find out, wow, I am so insecure. Or, wow, it's sometimes good to be vulnerable and it builds relationships. So having lived reacting to everything in my life, as opposed to like really thinking about what you're doing, what you're thinking, being mindful and responding instead, that has helped me be a better leader because number one, it's helped me be more compassionate. When I figured out myself and you know, that I have flaws, then I could see it the same way from someone else's perspective. And you can also show up better, right? You can manage yourself. If I'm having a bad day, maybe having a one-on-one or a performance review <laughs> is not going to be the best time to do something. And so if you know yourself, you understand yourself deeply. And I'm almost too obsessed with reading so many self-help books and things like that around this. But I think that's something that everyone needs to do. What kept coming to mind listening to you say that is, wow, I'm so impressed that Mimi does it scared. Like nothing that you do is easy and you still show up and you can still be successful and have these feelings that are completely valid. And it's very inspiring for me, actually, because there I can think of many moments when I've said oh, I'm feeling this, maybe I shouldn't. But you are a perfect example of you can feel this and freaking kill it and do a great job (laughs) and lead really, really well. 
Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, it's about being courageous in the face of vulnerability and feeling like you're not enough and you're going to regret doing something, but <laughs> you have to keep moving on, right? It also sounds from a vulnerability perspective that it's almost like healing, right? It's like self-care because it allows you to be authentic. And while it is critical to, and you mentioned this before, it is critical to that the context matters, right? You're not going to do this maybe yeah. during a performance review or, or some type mm -hmm. of conversation, but being able to practice it and do it scared and really allow yourself to be you and leverage those moments where you can be vulnerable, it almost feels like freeing. It feels like healing uh, to me. That's kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah. And can anyone truly be everything and be perfect ever? Right. Yeah. You know, I came across a quote recently and it's actually a lyrics to a song and it says, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Yes. Isn't that beautiful? Mm. <laughs> yes. You yes. know, that's how we open up space and build connections, bring light and inspire other people. Because face the truth, we just can't be everything and be perfect. So as, as you're listening to this, think about how you can be vulnerable at work. And, and then I'm also hearing like, have grace for yourself when you do make mistakes. And it's okay to cry. <laughs> think about when you're crying and who you're crying to. Is it psychologically safe? Do you have people outside of work that you can talk to about these things. And then the most important message that I heard is show up anyway. Want more advice on how to break the rules and outsmart the game to advance your career? Check us out on Instagram, YouTube, and our website, whatrulespodcast.com for more insight from our guests and hosts and join our community on LinkedIn where we discuss rule-breaking strategies for multicultural women. What Rules is a project of Zara Consulting and is supported by the amazing team at Stories Bureau. This episode was produced by Alexandra Uresta with editing and music supervision by Joshua Ramsey and was engineered and mixed by Tim Ballant. Our podcast cover was designed by Delion Creative. Visit whatrulespodcast.com for more info, upcoming events, and all episodes of What Rules, including video, and make sure to give us a follow.